0: Hi, my name is Scott Dahl. I'm an investment advisor. I'm in San Juan Capistrano, California, and I'd like to welcome you to my first podcast, and first of what I hope will be many. What I'm going to do is talk about uh, the markets. I'll talk about how I invest, and then I'll give you an idea of what I think is going to happen in the future in the stock market and in bond market for that matter as well. And so this this will build on itself, uh, the description of how you make investment decisions, how you read price, which is very important because if you that's the only thing you can really invest in is the price of an asset or the price of a stock. I'm going to use the term stock and I'll use the term equities. We'll focus on stocks. What I'm going to talk about could easily, easily lend itself and does lend itself to other types of financial markets. So I'll do uh, a, a few of these, uh, two or three of these that will get us to the point of where I can give you an idea of what I think is going to happen. And then eventually it will, I'll talk, bring in some outside guests and have do some fun in other areas that I have uh, interest in. So with all that said, I'm going to get into what I do, what I do for my clients and how I make investment decisions. So I have my own registered investment advisory. The name is Doll Capital Advisors Incorporated, and that's D-O-L-L and then capital C-A-P-I-T-A-L advisors with an O. I've had my own company since 1996, but I've been, been, been in the industry for a much longer time. I actually got securities license back in 1983. So I've been securities licensed for a little over 40 years. And what I do is I help people invest their money and with the objective of helping them meet their goals. Let's talk a little bit about my background. I started following prices of assets back in right around 1976. I was a, I grew up in a small town in northern Indiana. I was a basketball player. I also played collegiate basketball eventually. And um, I in the summertime when I wasn't playing basketball or I wasn't working, what I would do is I would go over to a commodity futures office, which was about 30 minutes from where I lived. And I could watch the prices of the commodities, gold, silver, pork bellies, soybeans i uh, I could watch it trade on what was called a clacker board. It was a large black rectangular board, and the prices would move as the trades happened. There was a feed from Chicago and then from New York to chicago and down da- and down through a phone line. This was back before we had computers or before we used computers of any 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 kind so I would watch the prices move and eventually. Uh, I started meeting the people, the brokers and the the traders, a lot of farmers that would come in during the day to watch their corn go up or down (laughs) that they had in the silo. And they would uh, teach me how to draw charts. So this was the first time that I was started drawing my own charts. And you didn't have computers back then to create your charts. So you hand drew them. And a lot of the old uh, uh, technical analysts, of which I am one, I'll explain that, they they said, hey, the, the, you need to draw your own charts in order to really truly understand the price movement. You need to have to have a tactile personal feel uh, uh, with it and to it. So I would draw my charts, and I would try to use this uh, uh, these charts to determine what could happen in, in the future of price. Now, I never really got away from this. It was always very interesting to me. And when I got out of school, out of college, and uh, went to, uh, went to the College of Charleston in South Carolina, when I got out of school, I would uh, I got a job as a commodity futures broker, and then very quickly got securities license so I could do stocks as well, stocks and bonds. So I am a technical analyst. That's my specialization. That's how I make investment decisions. And I'm going to define that and explain what it is. I am a chartered market technician. It's offered by the Chartered Market Technician Association in New York, and the acronym is CMT. I was 291st person to achieve this designation back in 2001, and it was a very intense uh, self-study process over a three-year period. And it was it was relatively easy for me because I, I liked it. I really enjoyed learning this. Uh, so I was uh, 291st person to achieve it. There's currently, I would estimate, somewhere between four to 5,000 Chartered Market Technicians (CMTs) uh, globally. So it's the premier accreditation. It's the highest uh, achievement. You know, not only do you have to uh, pass these 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 rigorous testing levels over a three-year period, uh, you also have to have a peer review. I had to uh, have I had to present my work to. Uh, people in in the uh, association, they had to recommend me. I also had to have some uh, tenure in in the business. So it was really a, a very uh, very rigorous, but a very very rewarding process. So this furthered my education in technical analysis when it comes to anal- analyzing the markets. And it was nice because it was a it was a structured set curriculum by these people who had been in it for years. And you know some of them. Unfortunately, are not around. I mean, it was a while back, but but it was so nice to have that structure. I was, just, I was, it was. I felt so fortunate to, to find that. That's what I do, and that's my that's my expertise is reading charts, reading price movement. And I'm going to explain it. So let's talk about my business and my clientele. So I I have a very select clientele. I don't just work with anybody. And there's reasons for that. Number one is we have to like each other, and it's got to be a nice person that, that I'm working with, uh, which makes the job a pleasure. Also, we have to have similar philosophical values when it comes to money. That's important. Um, we have to have a good, a good communication, a good communicative relationship, uh, because if you don't have that, and you have to have trust, if you don't have those two things, it impedes the progress and the performance and what I can actually do for the client. So what I do when I meet a prospective client is we sit down and first we have a discussion and we we get a feel for each other and see if if there's good potential for a fit. If there is, then what I'll do is I'll review the assets and eventually I will either uh, realign their existing portfolio to hopefully meet their goals or I will design uh, a new portfolio, again, structured to meet the client's intermediate, short, intermediate and long-term goals. So it takes a really in-depth analysis of the client. I need to know what their risk tolerance is, again, what their goals are. Do they want to educate their kids or their grandkids? Do they want to leave money to their family? Do they want to leave money to charity? When do they want to retire? What what do they want to accomplish in retirement? What do they want to accomplish in life? What do they want? Do you, do you want a second home? Do, do, you, uh, do you want to travel? So that's what we need to do is, is determine what the person's goals are. Then we can build that investment por- portfolio to achieve it. So a lot goes into the initial discussions. Then I look at the assets and then we go ahead and the, we we talk about it we figure out what we want to do another reason why i keep such a select clientele is because i don't want to be stretched too thin i want to make sure that i can give the maximum amount of effort to each and every client that i have and that means can can cannot, continuous contact i would i talk to clients on a very frequent basis um i i'm always an open door if they need anything or anything changes i need to know about it and i will typically have quarterly appointments with virtually everyone. So it's a small clientele, but I'm really dedicated to the client's success. I take a lot of pride in it. And it's it's very emotionally gratifying to know that I'm able to help somebody uh, in life and, and enjoy life. So that's, that's, my, my, that's my objective. Back to technical analysis. Oh, I'm going to use the term equity and stock interchangeably. You can analyze a lot of different markets, bonds, currencies, but I'm going to focus on on stock analysis, just for congruency. Um, and we can also talk about other markets at any time throughout this process. So there's two basic schools of analysis when it comes to the market. And they've been around hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, they're both important. You need, to, you need to be able to intertwine the both in order to, to, be, to hope to have uh, a successful investment process. So the first would be fundamental analysis. And the reason I'm starting with this is because fundamental analysis has been probably uh, the most dominant form of analysis on uh, Wall Street or in the investment world for uh, a long period of time. Technical analysis has always been there, but technical analysis was it, – it seemed like it, it – it was always very important, but it seems like it really came up on the forefront back in 2000 when we had a market collapse, and that's when it, it seemed to become more and more important, uh, and it's always been important to me. But I was glad to see that this discipline, this analytical discipline of the markets was finally being recognized for as significant as it is. But So I'm going to go down to and first talk about fundamental analysis. A fundamental analyst focuses on economic forces of supply and demand that cause prices to move higher, lower, or stay the same. So it's the cause of the price movement. What would cause the price movement, let's say, of an individual company? A fundamental analyst would look at the product or the service of the company. They would look at the demand for the product and the service of the company. They might look at competition in in that particular space uh, the company's competitive advantage they would look at perhaps the company's management to see if they're sound management they would uh, look at the company's financials to see if they uh, had say plenty of cash if they were solvent if they were very uh, if they were a very stable company, they would also look at where they would fit in, in the current economic environment. It takes in all these fundamental elements and then the fundamental analysts would combine it together and they would use this, this data that they have, they have, or this analysis and they would decide, determine whether the particular stock or market for that matter is, uh, too high or too low or, you know, if it's, Of really not worth investing in. And then that helps you decide, helps them decide whether to recommend that you buy or you sell a particular stock. However, a technical analyst, which is my concentration or my specialization, a technical analyst concentrates on the study of the market action, mainly the price movement of the asset, the movement itself. The reason that price movement is so incredibly important is because that's how you make money. You buy an asset at a certain price, and if you're lucky, if you've done your homework, you can sell that asset at a higher price and make money. If you if the asset goes down, you sell it at a lower price, and you would lose money. But the importance is it's, it's the movement of the price of the stock or the market itself that either puts money in your pocket or takes it away. If you study price, past history of price of something, the the day to day movement, or the uh, it can be a minute by minute movement, or it can be a two hundred year movement. But by studying these price these prices, it, you have everything that has happened for, on a fundamental basis in that particular stock is represented in this graphical pictorial of that stock. Everything that's happened, anything economically, geopolitically, fundamentally that's happened to that company is represented in the price of that stock. If you study the past data, the past price price of a particular stock or the market, you will recognize repetitive patterns. Now here's the crux of technical analysis, the actual study of price, is the stock market is a psychological mass. Sure that these stocks represent companies, but that's still the, the stocks, the price is what everybody that is buying or selling that particular stock or market thinks that it's worth at that specific point in time. It's a, it's a conglomeration of all the buyers and sellers that have come in at that specific instant to create that price. So it's a psychological mass and we as human beings have a tendency to, to repeat ourselves and we do, we have throughout history. And, you know, Mark Twain said history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes and it truly does. And so if you can see these repetitive patterns, be it them long term or short term in price movement and, and I, I'm simplifying. I'm just focusing on the price. There are a lot of other tools to go into this, but if you can see these repetitive patterns, then you have a chance of uh, of perhaps being having a leg up on the competition. So what creates this repetition in price? Well, what creates this flow or this repetitive pattern in price movement is because of human emotion. When stocks or the market is at the top, that's when the news is the best. So that's when the, it's human nature to want to buy because things just feel so good. They're so good in the news. And when stocks or the market is at its bottom, things look the worst. That's when the news is the worst. And then people, people they sell. They sell at the bottom. So they buy the top and they sell the bottom repeat, re- repetitively. In fact, there's been studies done. I know Dalbar, for one, will do has done studies showing that the average investor, unless they're working with a qualified investment advisor, they will underperform the market in their investment efforts. And the reason that they underperform is because they let their emotions get a hold of them, and they do the wrong thing at the wrong time. So I always tell my clients: I mean, if you're working with me, I, I want to, I want you to be successful. That is my primary objective, obviously, and I take pride in in, in helping you get there. However. Your money is not mine it's yours, and what I do is i i'm an insulator i i I don't have an emotional tie to my client's money, and so I can help make the correct decisions at the correct time because i've seen this this these overvalued and these undervalued periods in time, and I know what the best the best course of action is at these certain points so i that's why if you're working with somebody that is qualified they'll help you uh, th- you'll have stand a better chance s- Statistically, it's been proven of, of making money in the market, so you don't let your emotions take over for you. And if you look at the uh, human human nature, they we have a primordial need to herd. And what I mean by that is, say you take a, a herd of elk, for example, and one elk spots some danger and takes off running, and the other herd thinks, well, there, there must be danger. Uh, so we, we go as well. So we, as humans have the same desire to herd. And we, we think if, if the market or other participants in the market are selling, well, we better sell too, because they probably know something that we don't. And we want to, we want to make sure we avoid the risk. And, and, and that's the same on the upside. I mean, if the market starts to go up and this greed takes over and, and we, we don't want to miss out. We want to make money if, if our neighbors make money. So we pile in and, 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 uh, uh, if the markets are moving higher, if they're, if they're, if they're making new highs or they're going higher, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a bad time to invest, but you know, you really want to buy, uh, when nobody else wants it. You want to, you want know, that, that help, helps your investment success significantly. So not only do we, we have a tendency to herd, but we have a tendency to, uh, at the top of, markets it's the fear of missing out it's great news uh you want to buy and then at the bottom you just have this overriding urge to sell because of this negative pall that's all over the news and that that uh that that's uh, a sure way to uh, underperform i'm going to give you an analogy of uh, how people have a tendency to invest and the stock market is the only place that you can go where um if things go on sale, people don't buy. An example that I like to use is: say you you um, you're walking through down past a store storefront, and you look through the glass and you see a pair of shoes that you really want to own, but they're too expensive. So you you go home at night and you think about it. You you know, and you wake up in the morning and you think, you know what? I deserve it. I'm going to go buy that pair of shoes. So you go back to the store. And you see in the window that those shoes have been marked down to half price. So what you do is you buy two pair. Well... That's not how the market works. At the top of the market, people are, think it's so great that they go ahead and buy. But when at the bottom of the market, when things look really bad because emotion takes over, you don't buy. So it, you should be buying doubling or buying more down at the bottom, just like you would if you were to buy uh, an article of clothing or any type of item like that. So to sum up my point, the fluctuation in the stock market, these peaks and valleys, It's not normal economic forces at play because the buying is accentuated when prices are high and the buying drops precipitously when prices are low. So it's not a normal economic relationship. It's actually the inverse. The market is predicated by human emotions of greed and fear. It's fear at the top, and the reason the, the tops are so sharp is, is there's a big big bunch of greed that goes in, and then at the top of the market, when it breaks, it starts to sell off. Selling sort of perpetuates because people are scared, and fear is a stronger emotion than greed. So tops are created very quickly and very sharp, but at the bottom, it's greed, but greed takes a while to take hold because the news is so incredibly bad. So that's why bottoms are kind of bounce along for a while. And then they start going up again is because you, you have to get that, that you have to, you have to stir or ignite that greed emotion in, in the market participants. So in order to get it going again, and we see this over and over and over. These are repetitive cycles. So a pure technical analyst is not really concerned with what's making the price move. They're concerned with the movement of the price and by analyzing the movement of the price. And uh, uh, another quote I'll, I'll throw you is, um, uh, Goethe said, I'd, I'd prefer to err on the side of the minority because the minority is usually correct. So what I take that to, to mean is the majority of, of the market participants or investors are usually doing the wrong thing at the wrong time because they've, they've been gripped by emotion. What I'm going to do is I'm again going to focus on price. There's a lot more that goes into technical analysis. However, price is the way that you either make or lose money by buying or selling the price of an asset. So we're going to start, we're going to start at the basics and look at that. So what you see up there is you see a chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's 30 stocks and it was created by Charles Dow back in the late 1800s and he, what he did is he put 30 stocks together. Most of it, a lot of it were, were railroads at the time. And he put 30 stocks together that he felt would be representative of representative of the investing public's portfolio because you had to have something to watch to determine what the overall trend of the market was. So there were indices prior to this one, like the cow index, which was a railroad index that went back to the mid 1800s, but Dow formalized it and, and, um, and this is what he created. And Now, the, the 30 stocks in there, they've changed over time. It's no longer a railroad-dominated stock average. But it's, it's 30 stocks that the, the still, the, even though Charles Dow is long de- deceased, they, that, they, that Dow Jones still feels is representative of the average investor's uh, portfolio. So what you're looking at is you're looking at a daily chart of the Dow Jones industrials. The right axis is price. Uh, here's twenty five thousand five hundred twenty. Excuse me, twenty eight thousand five hundred thirty six thousand five hundred. So that's the price of the index. Now along the bottom is the date. Now I didn't. I just picked this just because I thought it was a good example for no specific reason other than that. But you can see that you have August. This is twenty twenty two. You have August, September, October. You see twenty twenty two, and then you have. 2023 pretty much close to where we are right now it's a couple of days old but but that that's where this where this price where this data comes from this specific point in time now you can do charts for a day you can do charts for a week you can do charts for a month you can do charts for years you have all different time frames available but what i'm showing you right now is a daily chart this is a daily chart of the dow jones industrial average So for example, this yellow, excuse me, this green line right here, that's represents one day of activity. That's a uh, one specific day in August of 2022. This is color coded. I like to use color coded. A green is an up day and a red is a down day. What this is, is this is an uptrend in the Dow Jones industrial average. That's what you're looking at over a period of about 13 months. And so it would be considered an uptrend, or it could be considered a bull trend. And what, what determines, what makes this a bull trend? Well, it's simply, um, higher, higher lows followed by higher highs. Here's what I mean by that. So you have a high, you have a low, you have a higher high, you have a low, you have a higher high, and you have a low. I can draw a trend line. When I draw, when, when you have an up move, a, You draw the trend line across the bottom because it's going up. So I have this trend line from here up through here. And what would change this bull market? What would change this bull move would be if it were to break this trend line and then start putting in a process of lower lows followed by lower highs. This is also a chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and this is a little bit of a different time frame uh, for no reason other than it, it's it, for explanatory purposes, and this has got a little bit of twist at the end that I'm going to explain to you. So you can see this is January of 2022, and this is uh, January of 2023. So we have, oh, I don't know, about 13 or 14 months of data here, and this is a downtrend or a bear phase. So how does this differ from what we just looked at? Well, you've got a high, you've got a lower low, you've got a lower high, you've got a lower low. You've got eh, it's you've got kind of a high, high, lower you don't have a lower high, but there's not a whole lot of activity up here, so I would say that's a that's a lower high. Uh, I just want to pause and say that, that the thing about technical analysis and why it's 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 art, it's science, but it's art. So, you two people could look at a t- same chart that are experienced and see entirely different things. That's what makes up that's what helps make the market. Um, so let's let's get back to it uh, high and followed by a lower low, and then another lower high and an even lower low. This is a downtrend. So, we had an uptrend, now we have a downtrend, and I can draw a trend line across these points, and that gives me my downtrend. So when is this no longer a downtrend? Well, it's no longer a downtrend when it breaks through this trend line and makes a higher high. This look, this is a higher high followed by higher low. Uh Oh, lower high. Here we go again. So that's part of the art is just determining whether it's time to get in for a new move higher or whether this might fail, which it did in this particular example and we'll resume in this downtrend. So that's a challenging part of of technical analysis. So we had uptrend, we had downtrend. Now I'm going to show you the third and only possible uh, trend left. So this is a sideways trend, and this is a little bit different from the first two charts that I had shown you. The difference in this chart, and again, for no particular reason other than for explanatory purposes, I thought it was a good visual representation, uh, so each one of those bars rather is not a day anymore they're a month. so we have a lot more data here. You can see we have a significantly higher spread in price, and we have a lot of years so these are these are not just months they're years. Why did I select this because it's such a f- nice example of a sideways trend so a, tre- a base, not a bull, not a bear it's going sideways. So you've got three trends. You've got the uptrend, you've got the downtrend. We all like the uptrend, most of us. And then you've got the sideways trend. So a sideways trend is it doesn't have one line to identify the trend. It has two. It has one on the top and one on the bottom. And you can see you've got, you've got a, a peak here, down, a peak here, down, a peak here, down. Here it made a new low, but, but then it comes back up. So it keeps hitting these peaks and I'll, I'm going to explain in the in the next next episode what what these peaks are and how do you how do you how do you define these peaks and how do you use these peaks it to in your favor to to uh, make money in the market. And so this is a sideways trend went on for years. And uh, that so those are those are our three trends. And um, that's what I wanted to show you today. So if there's any questions, you're more than free uh, to call me or contact me. My phone number is nine four nine four nine seven six three six six again nine four nine four nine seven six three six six Doll Capital Advisors D O L L Capital C A P I T A L Advisors with an O. You can Google Scott Doll Investments, Scott Doll, San Juan Capistrano. You can also email me if you'd like at Scott at Doll Capital Advisors dot com. So I'm going to continue to do these. The next one, we're going to look at uh, uh, support and resistance. I'm going to define that for you. And then, uh, then we'll, I'm going to get into the nitty-gritty of what I think is going to happen here going forward. Then we'll get in. We'll have some fun. I'll bring some guests on, maybe some clients, uh, people of interest that maybe may have to do with music, something entirely different than the market. And, again, thank you very much. And uh, I look forward uh, to this, and I hope you will as well. And I hope you continue to uh, join me on these. Thank you.